Selena, I don't know why everybody's trying to go for my asshole lately, <laughs> but this is a it's certainly a trend, and I don't know what it is. And it's you know what? There's you really can't keep a butthole that clean for that long. Is there? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, so. This is a Ho in the Know, a podcast about sex work, by sex workers, for sex workers. And right now, it is episode two of a Goddess Corey takeover. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for taking over the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And we are joined by the magnificent Teddy. hey And um, Teddy has been on the show before and um, always a joy. Always truly just sunlight incarnate as a person. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're just going to enjoy this episode and um, Corey take the wheel You're, instead of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> God is Corey. God is, God is Corey take the wheel. Taking the wheel. Every episode we begin with a segment we call Historical Hose. And this week's historical hoe is Ida Dorsey. Ida Dorsey. Uh, the info is from Wikipedia. Big shout out to Ari for doing the research on this. You're amazing. So there are no existing photos of Ida Dorsey. She was born March 7th, 1866 in Woodford, Kentucky, or in Woodford County, Kentucky, to Mary Turner, a black woman, and John Callahan, a white man, so it was a, an interracial marriage, which was outlawed, so her parents ne'er, never married. But that is pretty interesting that it was uh, an interracial marriage. So anyway, um, Ida Burks once claimed to have operated a bordello from the age of 16. So Ida Burks moved from Kentucky to Minnesota, and by 1885, she lived with John Hirschfeld in St. Paul. After adopting the name Dorsey, in 1886, Dorsey ran a bordello at Fifth Street and Jackson Street, reported to be, quote, a very tough place, catering to black soldiers. That just sounds like coded language. Perhaps attracted by the city's wealth, Dorsey moved to Minneapolis in 1886, where she employed seven or eight women of color. Appearing to be an old ramshackle exterior at 125 2nd Street North inside the house held beautiful carpets, fancy wallpaper, and elegant furniture, and you can take that. Serving only white customers, the women danced the can-can, which the Minneapolis police chief had outlawed, and performed shadow dances in silhouette. I need to look into what that is exactly. So... She faced backlash from the the black community for her segregated policies. In 1886, when she was 22, Dorsey was convicted as Mary Coon, damn harsh, of selling liquor without a license and running a house of prostitution. Dorsey felt she had cooperated and had contributed towards a liquor license. Other madams were only fined $200 to $350, but... Dorsey served 76 days of a 90-day sentence in the Minneapolis or in the Minnesota State Prison in Stillwater, 
with time off for, quote, good behavior. So, yeah, another great example of a disproportionate um, application of incarceral policies to black people. And that is how racism works. Wow. So upon her return from prison in late 1886, Dorsey led 119 Second Street North from Madam, uh, or sorry, Least, 119 Second Street North from Madam Carrie Moore. Dorsey moved her business to what had become the city's premier red light district, opening in 1887 on the site formerly used by Etta Forrest at 116 Second Avenue South. Her sister, Roberta, had joined her by this time and is recorded as having paid the monthly fine of $80. A community largely of immigrants who lacked political clout meant building a new red light district in its midst was the most logical way to consolidate power. In November 1890, Dorsey began her move to 11th Avenue following the lead of Madame Mabel Baker, aka Mary Allen, and her sister's uh, and her sister Frances Stewart, a.k.a. Frances Meyer, who were the area's main property owners. She continued to entertain whites exclusively. Whites at that time, that was how you pronounced the word whites. Attracting a formidable lineup of clients. A St. Paul paper said she refused entry even to Harris Martin, a storied African-American boxer known as the Black Pearl. Oh, that's pretty hot. Peterson cites a Twin Cities reporter account that said Dorsey would never be raided because, quote, some pretty big guns would be grabbed there and the papers would have some great stories, end quote. So during the 1900s, Dorsey became friends with Carlton Pillsbury. And yes, that is the Pillsbury. That is the one that makes all of the nice flaky desserts and shit, all of your crescents, your croissants, your, uh, what is it, cinnamon rolls, <laughs> that Carlton Pillsbury, they became friends, um, anyway, he loved music and acting, and who in his short life became a music publisher, so after Carlton died, Dorsey sometimes used the name Ms. Ida Pillsbury, the son of Frederick and Alice Pillsbury, Carlton was the nephew of Flower Miller, Charles Alfred Pillsbury, a grandson of Mayor George A. Pillsbury, and a great nephew of Governor John S. Pillsbury. That Pillsbury clan runs deep, my friends. So Peterson, in 2013, told the Twin Cities Daily Planet that Pillsbury may have had a fascination with, quote, stereotypical African-American culture, and why might he have had this fascination? Well, of course, because he performed in blackface and published stereotypical sheet music. So he was a fan of the minstrel show, and he himself a minstrel. Racist! Shout out to Pillberry for being racist! So uh, Minneapolis then decided to oust its madams primarily due to corruption and racist ideological reasoning, including a citizen's purity crusade, the worst kind of crusade. Actually, all of the crusades are terrible. Shout out to the crusades for always being terrible. Uh, reformers' hysterical belief in white slavery. Very interesting. Discrimination against the 86 Chinese immigrants. 
the Ames trials of a former mayor, grand architectural city remix, the temperance movement, and anti-corruption activists. So it sounds like a lot was going on, you guys, and that's why they took these people down. So these all led to the raid and arrest of 19 madams, including Dorsey, in April 1910. Caught up in a raid, in a vice raid in 1911, Dorsey decided the public opinion that public opinion was against her in Minneapolis. In 1913, she opened a brothel at 151 South Washington Street in St. Paul, a site owned by Madame Nina Clifford. Dorsey paid $1,000 to Clifford for the house, and 3000 to various city officials who ultimately were convicted of graft and jailed, per usual. Why is this a surprise? She was open for only a few months and is quoted as feeling, quote, like a dummy for having made that move. <laughs> oh man, that's great. So, she was now over 40 years old and not wealthy enough to retire. Man, she tried so hard, you guys. Imagine if she had just been allowed to have her little brothel and do her thing and retire well, as people should be allowed to do. I'm just going to say, let's just legalize brothels and people can run them and it will be fine. You might be surprised by how fine it would be. Anyway, so she was now over 40 years old and not wealthy enough to retire. In 1907, Dorsey had diversified her investments when she bought an, an apartment building with a grocery store on the main floor of 1214 through 1220 First Avenue South, now Marquette Avenue. She owned brothels in Duluth and in Superior, Wisconsin. She was persecuted, beginning, or she was, I think, prosecuted, beginning in 1914 by, no, persecuted, that's it. Um, by the publisher of the Twin Cities Reporter, who called her vile names and enjoyed hounding her on his front page. Wow, it's a lot of hate to make it onto the front page. The Marquette Avenue property was used as a brothel and as Dorsey's home when she became ill. So she developed cancer and was a, pa a patient at uh, Adel Hospital. She died at age 52. Damn on June 18, 1918, and is buried with the child she lost. Her mother, Maria Burks, possibly her stepfather, George Burks, her sister Roberta, and half-brothers Moses, George, Henry, and Nebraska uh, were all buried together in Lakewood Cemetery in Minneapolis. So, if you're in Minneapolis and would like to visit a historical site, check out Lakewood Cemetery and search for the Burks. And that is the pretty dope life of Ida Dorsey. This week's historical ho. Hi everybody, <laughs> this is the goddess Corey. Um, thank you so much, Teddy, for being on here today. Um, I'm really amazed by your work, honestly. Like, I think I, I like, I made a post or uh, like a story about how like I wanted you to be my history teacher. I don't know if I told you that in private or if I was like publicly like, please yes, be my history so. professor because your expansive knowledge of history, your in-depth research is kind of critical, especially from like a black femme perspective, a black host perspective. Like yeah. it's incredible and I, I if anybody is listening who can fund like a grant 
for all of your past work and then all of your future work that would be fantastic um, <laughs> and then hire you at whatever institution you would like to be hired at to be professor teddy <laughs> And Professor then I, Teddy B. Ruxin. Yeah. I'm into Teddy that. Bear. And then I will be first to sign up for your class. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When did you, like, start getting into history? Or when did you start, like, I don't know, thinking about it beyond maybe the classroom? I've been into history for pretty much, like, as long as I can remember my parents okay uh my dad specifically was like really weird and he didn't let me read like disney stories as a kid what i specifically grew up reading was a collection of greek mythology and a collection of norwegian fairy tales those were the two books i read a lot in my childhood and then i also had this book that was literally like a kid's encyclopedia that i was really into reading so i was always like a facts-based and a mythology-based kid i think my like a history grew from my like of mythology but I think I really started studying it expansively because I think it's cute when people call me a history professor because I was a history tutor in middle and high school because I found at least like in my history classes I could explain it in a way that made more sense to like the people I went to class with than my teachers did and it's not that I felt like I understood the medium and I understood how to like explain it better and I always thought history was really interesting because what intrigued me is how cyclical history is and how people have been pretty much the same forever we just don't acknowledge it or really talk about it you know like uh noble piercings were a fad in Edwardian England and France. <laughs> Fun stuff like that. The name Tiffany is actually a medieval name. Um, just hey, my, my favorite wow, fun fact. Yeah, but no one ever includes it because people don't think it's a medieval name, but it is a medieval name. But stuff like that I always thought was really fun and really interesting. And then I think from there, if you study history, eventually you get to like, you can't, I think, ethically study history and ethically be a historian without eventually getting into like the history of class and the history of race, especially the history of class and the history of race because the history of race has informed the history of the western world and history of class has also informed the history of the western world so they naturally as i got into studying history those topics just came up and i decided to delve more into them i was just listening to this lecture by um this like liberal philosopher about like the big kind of like absence in like liberal theory uh, around race like it's like you know because it's presumed to come from like this place of neutrality and this like universal humanism and it's like all people need this and this and that but it's also just like well it's clearly written by like a bunch of white men within like the intellectual class you know like who are able mm-hmm. to like just think these big thoughts and articulate these big theories without having to deal with those intersections um, mm-hmm. and so it was, it was like really interesting. I would definitely re- uh, recommend, I actually need to pull it up, but it's like, <laughs> they were talking about, well, when does like, when did race begin? And, um, I don't know. I'm sure that you've like gotten into this, but it was some, it was like pretty ancient, like, um, even before like people were determining, oh wait, well, I see your face. Okay. Say, <laughs> say your thing. <laughs> Sorry. No, I get really excited about that conversation. I think also what helped is because I got so into this stuff, I had, I am fairly lucky in that both through high school and college, I had teachers that liked me 
and liked that I was engaging with stuff and was or were willing to like give me more materials. And they're like, really, you're clearly into this. Do you want to read more about it? And I was like, yes. And I had one um, political science professor who was cool as hell. He had dodged the draft during the Vietnam War. Cool mm-hmm. dude, wore socks and sandals to class every day. Yeah. And he, for absolutely no reason, in a poli-sci class, went off on the history of race for like a whole two weeks. Yes. And one of the books we discussed was, I really have to find um, the name of this book. It was written in the 50s and 60s, and it was a sociologist who took an entomological and historical perspective. His paper was an answer to another paper a white historian had written in the 50s where he said that racism has existed since the dawn of time, and it's an innate human ill, and you can't get rid of it. And so what his paper said was, he was like, fine, if racism has existed since the dawn of time, I should be able to find evidence of it as far back. And he was like, if I can find a concrete start, you're completely wrong. So what he did was he tracked specific he tracked specifically the um, beginnings of our conceptions of blackness and the beginning of the conception of people from Africa being a separate race. And what he found was actually when you look at it historically, people who are black are referred to in mostly neutral or even positive terms through the majority of history. Like, you know, there's a famous story that Rome had a black emperor, but also if you look at um, religious stories, there's there's the curse of Ham in the Noah mythology where Ham is specifically referred to as dark-skinned. There's actually a really fun part in that book where he breaks down why that happened and that's because at that time the proto the areas that would later become that would later give rise to Judaism um, at the time were in a war with a specific subsect of people from Africa which is part of why that entered the religious lexicon but I'm getting off point but anyway so he tracks that and he goes through this and he's like well I can't find a real beginning of what we concretely call racism until the transatlantic slave trade so he did this really long like three books just to prove one guy's paper wrong and to be like no dude no (laughs) this is very weird but i love that i love stuff like the start of our conceptions of race and our conceptions of mythology and our that's so so fun (laughs) to sort of go back a little bit to what selena was saying um sort of you know it's about who is interpreting the history it like it really comes down to, to that just like in science how like a lot of science is based off of like who is interpreting the science at the time and what is going on in that time um and speaking of time you mostly you've talked about how you mostly focus on um i think you said med- medieval to modern history right is there a mm-hmm. reason for that or is it just what you're inclined towards or it just tends to be what i'm inclined towards when i first got into history i was really into greco-roman history and not to um, talk badly about anyone with a legitimate interest in greco-roman history (laughs) but the worst men are into greco-roman history and i found that i really couldn't have a conversation about it without some fucking dude bro with like cum stained boxers who had watched the 300 like two nights ago trying to tell me about the fucking spartans like i was like sir you don't even want to go into the political differences between the multi-city states of athens and sparta right now you don't want it you don't need this beef you don't want to start this with me but from that i was like you know what 
whatever. That's the stuff everybody likes because everyone's into military conquests. And... But what I found more fascinating was cultural conquests and cultural exchanges and how the length and breadth of the Greco-Roman and then the Mongolian Empire led to so much cultural exchanges and the creation of racial groups we have them today. And then that's what kind of led me into more modern history. And I thought that's a bit more fun because it's a bit closer so that's where you can really start going okay this is what you can say is definitely Mm. definitively affected like where we are now and that's also where you especially get to get into like certain patterns because you can track the beginning of world capitalism to beginning of feudalism in england which was not capitalism but a proto-capitalistic state a pre-capitalistic state so that's where i like to start because if we're especially looking at class the medieval times and the feudalistic era, like you can just watch the trajectory from there. Do you have anything you want to promote that you're doing or a paper that you want to promote that people can buy? Because I've been selling my papers, my academic papers, and like, I oh, think, that's dope. Yeah, I think our oh. work is important. You should sell your papers. You should, you know, I don't know. I haven't even thought of selling my papers. Dang, I have so many. One thing I am working on is I will be on a show called Jolene. It's an inclusive, specifically trans-inclusive and women of color inclusive lineup. It's going to be on Friday, July 3rd. And everyone should come check it out if they can. Beautiful. (laughs) Okay, that's excellent. People can turn up online digitally. Yes, go tip tip heavy yeah (laughs) yeah um but i also wanted to talk about um your work and role in soldiers of pole um same to you selena um what work you're doing in that organization well i joined uh sop a little bit later well quite a bit later than uh selena i came on i discussed this with selena the first time i was on ho in the know i came on after um the mass firing at cheetahs and then from there i've just tried to be involved in any way i can in the political action committee and kind of in any way i can be useful i think i stick more on the logistics side of stuff i feel has been my vibe so far yeah selena i think you're like on the you're like on the policy making side like policy and research and and kind of like crafting like the mission of the of the um organization Um, because I mean, you know, you're one of the best at articulating like what we should be about and kind of like you have a good, uh, kind of guiding like moral compass and sense of things. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've been doing so much lately. There's like a million one things going on. Um, but I guess I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in Portland, which is the big, um, stripper strike. And that's kind of orchestrated by um cat i know cat doesn't necessarily want to say that she is fully the head of it she's like well it just kind of bubbled up but i'm like well you're kind of leading it cat <laughs> you're the one kind of like you're opening the zoom meetings and you've got like a lot of people involved um so what they're doing is um they are kind of organizing this strike although a lot of clubs are still not open quite yet in portland um but they are striking because they want to create uh, anti-discrimination trainings for the clubs and they have this broader strategy of essentially 
doing what a lot of states did um, to end segregation. So it's interesting. So they're saying essentially that there's like this federal law that you're not allowed to discriminate based on, you know, um, sex and orientation and on and on and on. So that should be a given in any given workplace. And they're like, well, this rule exists. And um, uh, so, you know, we're seeing some discrimination and we're going to take notes of what's happening. And um, we're going to offer you this training. And hopefully that will change things. But if it doesn't change things and we start to see this trend of discrimination, then we might be able to create a kind of uh, federal suit around this problem kind of uh, she explains this so much better but it's like because there's like um because of the way of like interstate taxes works you know you have to like follow these guidelines or else other things happen anyway I'm so like I'm just like explaining this terribly but Kat has this really interesting plan of like how to make sure that clubs have to follow these rules to end discrimination against specifically like black and brown, mostly black, um, strippers, because I mean, it's just, it's truly like pandemic level, like discrimination across the board. And it's not even a secret. Nope. <laughs> like there's no secret about it. <laughs> Any black person who's ever worked at a strip club knows, or even who's tried to work at a strip club knows how it feels, you know? And even those mm-hmm. of us who are like, you know, the right color with the right hair texture, with the right body type who are able to enter into these spaces, like we still witness all of these things. You know, we witness darker skin people getting turned away at the door, um, black people who are wearing traditional Afro hairstyles turned away. Um, braids. Be- braids for sure, dreads especially, like you won't even, you know, get into, you won't even get on stage to audition, you know, they say, oh, that's a ghetto hairstyle, but then on the other, like, you know, you'll see a white dancer come in with the same hairstyle, and they'll get praised for it, and they'll get hired for it, and they'll be told that they look exotic, or they look, they have an interesting, quirky look, whatever, whatever all of that language and we've all heard all of the fake excuses that they use like oh we're not hiring right now oh we have too many girls who look like you oh you know whatever whatever like you're just not the type for this club have you considered an urban club (laughs) as a person who has auditioned at several strip clubs over the past four four years I've been doing sex work for five years and four years I had auditioned at strip clubs and eventually realized they weren't they weren't trying to hire me unless I folded in certain ways and even when I did fold in those certain ways I like was still maybe they catch the vibe that I wasn't going to yeah (laughs) I wasn't going to (laughs) submit in a lot of ways to to be there Mm -hmm. it's an absolute uh, shit show yeah Um, yeah yeah definitely and I mean I think right now uh, we're trying to ride the momentum of Black Lives Matter being once again visible it's time and I mean it's been time it's fucking been time (laughs) to be real so anyway Kat is out there doing that organizing um in Portland but also we're trying to kind of dry out our network so like you know if you know if I know strippers and other places like I can maybe add them to the network be like okay I know people 
for example, I know people in Maryland, I know people in Texas, some people in Rhode Island, I know people in New York. How can we branch out? And, you know, once you have one person in a place, then you have an anchor point for this to grow. Yeah. So shout out to Kat and shout out to the Haymarket Poll Collective. Because so the other thing is that they have to organize in a different way because they're independent contractors, so they're not allowed to unionize. So here in California, um, we can use language around unionization and we're protected by the law. But as independent contractors, they're not able to um, without like a I forget there are like certain provisions where you're able to do it, but it's a lot harder. So. Um, They are a collective of people who are concerned with the health and safety and um, just, you know, the workplace conditions being safe and equitable. I wanted to speak to you, Teddy, sort of about um, your experiences auditioning, if you want to speak on it, Um, Mm -hmm. especially as like an alti, dark skin, black person with natural hair, non-binary person, like all of those things long version i think especially kind of the longer i was in a sense in the game and the less i don't know the less like fucks i had to give about it and especially the more oh god especially the more tattoos i got stuff got incrementally harder and harder which is why i think a lot of my career has been in like weirdo dive bars where anything could kind of go and I could do whatever I wanted and people were into that those ended up being the places I stayed the longest and was like the most comfortable at because everybody was doing weird shit so I wasn't really that unusual which was fine until I had to move and then the second I had to move I was like oh god fuck I look like this um (laughs) Because I didn't, I didn't wear my natural hair out working till I worked at Cheetahs, and that was like three, like three years in. A really pretty girl who's about my skin tone who shaved her head and wore it, and she looked great, and people were vibing with that, and I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. But before that, I hadn't really found anywhere that could be like done. And when I started, I thought I looked really alt, but I guess I wasn't what would be considered alternative because I mean, I've always had piercings. I got my dimples pierced when I was 18. The rest kind of, the only new one I have is uh, the one on top of my lip, my Medusa. The rest I've all had pretty much like since I graduated high school, but those are still like acceptable if you keep them as like cute facial piercings, like little septums. So those I never really had a trouble. I never had trouble with. So in my head, when I started, I was like, Oh, I know what it's like to look like visibly alternative and work. And I didn't. And I remember working at, deja vu years ago and talking to the girls there and being like, Oh, I want to start getting more tattoos. And one of the girls there was like, are you sure? she's like you don't think it will but it's gonna fuck up your money for a little while and it's gonna make it really hard for you to work and I was like no it won't and then Mm -hmm. I was um comfortable at this little dive bar in the valley called star garden and I was doing really well so I got like like seven tattoos in the span of like six months and a good portion of them were huge I got like my both my thigh pieces done there I got like a lot of my arms done and then when I re-entered the dancing world after that, I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, who? 
I see what they mean. Like I got the runaround. I got the, oh, we're not hiring. And like, I have a really white phone voice. So when I would call, they'd be like, yeah, totally come in. And then I would get there and they'd be like, oh, we're not hiring. And they'd be like, oh. Because that's not what you okay. said on the phone. <laughs> like, sure. I guess. Whatever. So then it became a place where I had to like look up the friends I had that looked like me and be like, hey, where do you oh, work? Yeah. Is that like in particular somewhere I could go? I think in LA, it's still pretty decent. I think the worst experience I had was in Vegas. I went to Vegas in November and I didn't know I was going to Vegas. So I wasn't like prepped to look Vegasy. So at the time I had like faux locks in and oh my God, just trying to get my sheriff's card was hell. I think I went to eight different places. Valentina, um, she's a white friend of mine, such a trooper. She went with me because she was like, I brought you out to Vegas. I'd feel really bad. Like if you have to go to places by yourself, as I brought you here and we were out until two in the morning, we started at like 6 PM, just going from like club to club to club. And the last place I went to was Spearmint Rhino, the manager. And he was like, oh, we don't care about anything but facial piercings. You just have to take those out. But he was like, "Mm, your your body's okay. If that's the best they can get, thanks. I appreciate that. But for example, I had to like, like you can be alt, but you have to live within like acceptable confines of what cool alt is, which is basically looking like a hot topic worker from 2015. So (laughs) as long as I was like, fine, like long, straight, dark hair and like dark makeup, but not too dark because you can't be scary and that kind of stuff that worked for me. I also found what worked was wearing like long sleeves and like full coverings to auditions so no one would know I had tattoos until I was on stage and it was too late and they couldn't tell me no until I was like, well, I'm here and even now as I'm on hiatus and I'm getting another tattoo because I'm a clown um (laughs) even that looking at it I'm like I really have to commit to it I think just as frustrating as the problems auditioning was that doing that really pigeonholed me because um Sex work and dancing especially is about genres. People want you to fit into a neat little digestible genre and they hire within these digestible genres and they pay money within these digestible genres and they don't like you to actually be a complex person who likes Mm -hmm. multiple things and is different and interesting and varied like a person. And the thing I really disliked was once I started like getting tattoos and being like well this is what I prefer to look like I felt like I couldn't like wear bright colors because like I had to be goth I could never dance to any music that wasn't like heavy metal or alternative because that would be like oh I didn't know you'd be into that and I'm like I don't I don't know what that means you don't know me so yeah I think especially I think especially being black on alternative they're too Dancing likes either or. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They like you to be either alternative, and that's a genre, Mm -hmm. or you're black, and that's a genre in and of itself. There's not black and. There's just Mm -hmm. you're a black dancer. Or you're spicy white. You're, like, white with tattoos. (laughs) Or you're a Latina dancer. Mm -hmm. Or you're these very, like, neat packaged compartments we can put you into. And so I think being black on alternative, that's 
they're like that's two genres that are somehow conflicting that don't work together or at least like people can't see them as like going together and i think it's very puzzling i used to have when i worked at star garden which was one of my favorite places to work because they when i say this club let us do whatever we want this club let us do whatever we wanted in its heyday that place was glorious because oh my god we were doing stuff that you could not do anywhere else there was a topless club and one girl would wear like three bras and just take <laughs> them off <laughs> in like succession and just when you thought she was done there was another bra it was so much fun and i remember a very common like microaggression there was i'd do stuff and then i was the only girl that always got asked oh did the dj pick your music or did you pick that yourself or like how did you even find out about that i'm surprised you'd even know about that and the gall was it was people who would get it wrong (laughs) i would dance and stuff and they'd be like oh cool i'm surprised i didn't know you'd be into this one one guy was like i didn't know you'd be into white zombie and i was like sir this is melvin's this is the melvin's what are you even talking about (laughs) i found that just being really aggressively like what do you mean by that would typically stop that if i kept doing that and i was just really mean about it or if i just really quickly shut it down Mm -hmm. like at cheetahs i used to dance the possum kingdom all the time that became my song there and i once had one guy go i doubt you even know what this song is and i want it's possible hang on (laughs) let me look up what album possum kingdom on because i was about to say this and then i was like it's been years since i've made this flex and i don't want to be wrong (laughs) (laughs) oh my god Uh, it's like you have to fucking fact check yeah i have to always be you have to always be on it there we go this guy was like oh i'm surprised you even know this and i was like dude it's possum kingdom by the toadies it's the fifth song on the album rubberneck it was released in 1994 anything else yeah (laughs) Are you done? I had one lady. I've never, I've never forgotten this lady. I don't know. I'm still mad about this lady to this day, but I used to like, I used to wear my leather jacket and everything at Cheetahs. I used to wear it on stage. And at one point there is like, I went through a phase where I was really mad. So I used to dance to California Uberalis. And I was, I think I discussed this with Selena the last time I was on there. I was famous for kicking stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at Cheetahs, I used to kick the shit. Uh, so I used to kick the ceiling and I used to take that hill song you just kick shit mm-hmm. and so i was doing california uber Alice, which went over well in california clubs because mm-hmm. california uber Alice, having a good time this one white woman looked me dead in the eye in the middle of my song and said oh i didn't think you'd be into punk and i stopped dancing it was one of the first many times i've ever stopped and i just kneeled in front of her and her friends could tell that i was pissed and they were avoiding eye contact and i went what do you mean by that? And she was like, you know, I just didn't think you'd like it. And I just kept leaning closer with every sentence. And I was like, I don't get that. Why do you, why would you think that? Why would you think I don't like punk? <laughs> what about you? What about me would make you think that I'm not into punk music? Like, yeah. I'm really trying to figure out what about me? Like, what yeah. is it? Mm-hmm. What is it? <laughs> so, <laughs> let's just scratching the surface of the level of just bullshit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh my god, those fucking microaggressions. Just like, oh my god, they fucking set me off. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think even beyond like 
I don't think those are microaggressions, like, personally. Like, I feel like, I feel like we like to condense, or, like, to mm. create a, di- a, a dichotomy or a binary of, like, aggression, when, like, mm-hmm. it's aggressive behavior, and, like, why do we try and quant? I think it's, like, a, a gaslighting of ourselves, of our own experiences, when we try to quantify aggression. <laughs> like, like, that is aggressive, like, you're at work you're doing your thing you're doing it well (laughs) you're doing it so well that they're impressed honestly they are they're impressed and they're jealous you know and then they're going to be uh so aggressive towards you that they're gonna stop you in the middle of your your set and say some bullshit and Mm -hmm. so you know i think the quantifying of oppression the quantifying of aggression is um diluting sort of like how you did you did stop (laughs) like you know and that's not that's not okay to you and uh we as black people in the sex industry deserve better all the time that's my opinion (laughs) i will say though being in such a specific niche and this this isn't really like a plus because it's just as gross as the flip side but it does make you like a fetish Mm -hmm. Which is gross, but the flip side of that is that when someone likes you because you're so specific, they really, really like you. So I feel like for every one of those like great dips in my in my career, when I was like, I don't even know why I'm doing this. This stuff is like so annoying. I like don't even want to be here. I would have like another night where I would meet someone who acted like they'd never seen or met anyone like me in their life previously Mm -hmm. and I was like everything they had ever asked for and I was like that's nice money (laughs) (laughs) that is that is the the lit part (laughs) about doing this work honestly is like is like you you get to capitalize off of things that like otherwise you are seen like in 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 the day-to-day that you are belittled and demeaned for, like, you get to really capitalize off of those things. Um, Dr. Marielle Young, I believe, has, uh, I believe that's her name, um, has a book, and I'm forgetting the name of the book right now, um, about black women in sex work um, and how black women and femmes, uh, uh, she doesn't use that language, but I, it's, you know, expansive in that mm-hmm. way um have oftentimes uh use sexuality as a way to capitalize because in a world that does not see them as human does not see them as anything more than objects so why not take that and run with it <laughs> you know um and that is the true resilience of black sex workers i think and why like a lot of my favorite people in the entire world are black sex workers, um, historically and currently. (laughs) Who are the people that you look up to? Who are the people that, like, living or dead or... I don't know. I feel like I always come over this list so much because I try... I'm a big believer in, like, always, like, kill your idols. Mm -hmm. For the most part, a lot of people will disappoint you but in terms of the people who i like to think like their body of work is more of what i find or like their spirit or their general vibe james baldwin 
Octavia Butler. Yeah. Alice Walker. Asuda Shakur. Yes, yes. Angela Davis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be nearly all black people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Prince. Mm. Yes. Oh. Prince forever. Yeah, that list has gotten like shorter and shorter. <laughs> the older I've gotten. Yeah. And the more I'm like, you can go. But it's been mostly whittled down to like black people and black people who are either queer or sex workers or operated like outside of a typical binary yeah definitely my Angelou I found out like later in life or not late I guess I'm I'm very I'm young I guess mm. <laughs> but later in life I found out when in I recent was years I found a out a young that... boy I found <laughs> out <laughs> Maya Angelou did sex work yeah <laughs> She was in these streets. <laughs> what is this? Song? No, I'm, I'm just fucking around. I'm oh just God. fucking around. <laughs> yeah. I'm riffing, guys. It's amazing. Yes, we'll start a band. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but later in life, I found out that my Angela did sex work, and I was like, wow, I didn't even know there was that, like, why, like, I felt so connected to some of her work. Um, mm-hmm. Why, like, she was, like, the first person that I, like, I was like, because I'm not like really amazed by like celebrities or like celebrity culture. And so, but my Angelou was somebody I was like, I want to meet that person one day. Like, I want to have, like, sit down and have a conversation with her because I think she'll have some really interesting things that like I could talk to her about. Mama Maya. And, yeah. But I, and, like, I cried like when she died mm-hmm. and I was like surprised by myself. But um, yeah, like that, I don't know. I think even in our youth like we pick up on those things that like not even just like being black but like those things that are truisms in ourselves that we like see in other people and maybe they're not explicit about it but like it's really nice to connect to you know what I mean I don't know no totally like I think uh when I was like a wee bab I heard I would die for you the greatest Prince song of all time. And I think that was honestly when I first fell in love with Prince just because of the first three lines. I'm not a woman. I'm not a man. I am something that you'll never understand. Just from that, I was like, I don't know what this is, but I'm vibing with it. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Um, NB uh. superstar. (laughs) Hi, it's Clover. I'm doing tarot readings and have been for the past five years of my life, and now I'm offering them to you all. I specialize in love readings, but also love doing career readings and questions like, what's blocking me from this thing I want and what should I do about it? For every $10 I make from any HITK listeners, I'll donate $1 to this podcast by default. But if you want me to send that dollar to like a protest bail fund, there's also that option or any sort of like sex worker um, specific establishment. And so it is up to you. So my rates are $10 per question for a written response, $20 for a 10 minute video, 30 for 20 minutes, 40 for 30, 60 for 40, and 100 for an hour. DM me on Instagram at little underscore fourleaf, and the four is an actual, like, numeral, not letters. Thank you, and I love you. Do you need a location? Location Emporium offers you locations like in a dressing room, on a fishing boat, at a child's birthday party, on a waterbed, under a bridge, on a motorcycle, at a resort, 
in a lost city on the hood of a Toyota Celica during a football game in the middle of a Nobel Prize speech down a mine shaft under tablecloth in the middle of a Zoom party behind someone's casket at a laundromat on a corner inside your cat's stomach and more. Other location providers only offer the basics. How many times are you gonna settle for? In Paris, in front of the Eiffel Tower. It's never too late to pick a location beyond your wildest dreams. We have a location for you, my friend. Well, this has been magnificent. You are magnificent. And again, if anybody, uh, is trying to find historical research, archival work, all of those things, um, please hit up Teddy. I don't know if you want to plug your social media or if you have social media to plug. Plug away. Yeah. Sure. Okay. I do. I have two Instagrams. If you're into my dance stuff, my Instagram is Teddy B. Period. Ruxpin. I realize people born after 93 don't know what a Teddy Ruxpin is. So Ruxpin is spelled R-U-X-P-I-N. I thought it was a cute name. Realize it's a very timely reference. Still keeping it. But it's Teddy B. Ruxpin. If you're into more of like my history stuff, my RL Instagram is death from a butt. Like death from above, but yes. death from a butt. But you gotta be behaved on that Instagram because my mom sees that. Oh, <laughs> that's so precious. <laughs> also, shout out to your mom. <laughs> I just, just want to shout her out. She's great. <laughs> She's great. She's adorable. She's very, she likes my videos. Sometimes she's like, oh, that's cool. Don't forget to like talk about that. Like when I was doing the last one in segregation, she was the one that was like, hey, don't forget to talk about freeways and how the freeway system was literally integrated as part of segregation. And I was like, T, mom, I really forgot that. True. Thank you. Yes. Elders coming in. Oh my God. Like, black moms out here spreading that knowledge. Thank you. True. Yeah. But thank you. And thank you, Selena, for, <laughs> for supervising <laughs> for my harried tech call. Like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, um, yeah, this has been Ho in the Know. Oh, yeah. Wait, Corey, plug your stuff. Plug my stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay. At the goddess Corey on Instagram. Um, basically, you can find everything there. Uh, I have a link tree in my bio where you can find more stuff, uh, sexy things. Uh, OnlyFans? I don't have an OnlyFans. I refuse to get OnlyFans. I feel you. <laughs> I I kind of do, too, honestly. Um, not for any real reason. I just I just don't have time. I have real reasons, but... I mean, there are other reasons, too. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> but, run by, like, white tech bros yeah. and all of that, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, they take 20%. And yeah, all the things. I do have a mini vids, but I don't do anything on there. I have my film, Clownin', that you can purchase directly from me. Yes, Clownin'. Um, yeah, uh, 
for a discount or you can go at mini vids but just purchase it from me it's, it's yeah easier. that makes more sense give, <laughs> give the money directly yeah um, give Corey your money yes give me all your money i was just gonna say before we end i would just like to say i think it's really funny that you and i mutually followed each other on instagram for like a year or two years and then we accidentally ran into each other while I was really drunk at Sato Master Disco. I was balls to the wall. Like right before I met you, I nearly started a fight in the men's bathroom because I was drunk. And when I get drunk I like to fight. Are you someone? So I was drunk. I had just taken like I was drunk. I just taken like a hit of poppers and then I was like, I want a cigarette and you went you went, I have a cigarette and I was like, I know you (laughs) aggressively and you were like yeah, we followed each other on Instagram for a long time. I love you. And I was like, oh, hey. That's yeah. so precious. Yeah. It oh, was my really God. And I'm so happy. And I do really enjoy meeting people that way. Like, genuinely enjoy. I don't know. I feel like people are, like, their most self oftentimes when they're intoxicated, usually. And I'm so glad that you were so delightful in that moment like if you hadn't been i'd still be like you a bad bitch i love you <laughs> i'm just gonna go away now <laughs> but, but like i'm so bitch, glad so that bad. like it happened all so beautifully and yeah thank you so much yeah thank you yes that was great now you know my lisp that they was exaggerated because i had fangs and and that's yes. why I sounded like that. <laughs> I didn't know I had a lisp up until like a month ago. I'm still really pissed about it. You know, someone told me a friend messaged me and was like, I heard someone that sounded like you. She had the same cute little lisp. And I was like, lisp. Oh, my God. Lisp. <laughs> Somebody was like, I think you might have a stutter. And I was like, oh, my God. Don't tell me this. <laughs> Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Just you never listen to yourself that way until someone tells you and now i can't not hear my list <laughs> it's like oh damn <laughs> it's that's a real vibe for sure teddy i it's also funny like the like we met because you of all of the people like you came to the club back in my baby stripper days and then after yeah. that, yes after that you I saw me at my you. like vanilla job i saw you at your vanilla job i was like yes I was and like, we were both familiar. neither of us knew how to navigate that situation yeah. we were both like, oh my god hey yeah yeah hey. i was like, like really awkward at that moment i was like I, and also because i had come in there and i was like i'm probably not gonna buy anything like, it was that Bro, i hated that store you could have stole from there i fucking hated there that was like right before i quit you could have totally i was like someone's please shoplift i hate this place. I mean, there were so many cool By the crystals way, and shit. If you ever want to steal from House of Intuition, they don't mark the crystals. Oh <laughs> you can just walk out with them. Okay. And they underpay everybody, and they all hate their job. Steal a crystal. They're okay. not looking. Oh, good. Trust me. They're not looking. Okay, well, fuck that place. Just take one. Yeah, I, I, want, I want some crystals really bad. <laughs> steal a crystal. <laughs> and the incense. They had some good incense. Ooh. It's like it's a spot like on Melrose and it was like really fuck nice Melrose. and you had like <laughs> just fuck all of them. Yeah, I mean truly. <laughs> but you had your like cool like um like silver wig on and stuff and and it was also we like that like... moment. Yeah, it was the moment of like both of us like looking different, you know? <laughs> like mm-hmm. oh. like I was in stripper mode and um you were it like all dressed up. Like you were in like full witch mode. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. so we were just like uh hey <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man 
Well, um, to wrap this up, I'm Selena the Stripper. You can follow me on Instagram at Pretty Boy Girl. You can support this project on Patreon at The Real Pretty Boy Girl, and you can read a bunch of stories that are really uh, something I work so hard on, you guys. You have no idea how many hours of every week this takes. Um, it's my love, my passion. I do it for you guys and for myself truly for myself <laughs> and uh follow this uh, project on instagram at ho in the know um spell it like it's you know if you made it this far then yeah you know how to spell it <laughs> that's all i can say anyway thank you guys for tuning in and have a wonderful uh quarantine holiday time um maybe blow something up on fourth of july i don't promote this but maybe that's, that's, that's a joke it's as yeah i'm just joking this Jokes. is not in any way suggestion all right bye. bye bye more money i want your money i want more money